We are uh, in this uh, third week of a four-week series called The First 50. And uh, this, uh, what I'm teaching today really is the first time I've ever taught on uh, this subject matter that I'm teaching on today. And it's because it's in the first 50 days. Uh, it works like this. A couple years ago, just hundreds of people in our congregation went online and took a survey called Reveal. Because we were trying to figure out what is it you want? What is it that would help you grow in Christ, which is the whole mission of our church? And one of the feedbacks we got from you real clearly was, you want to know the Bible and you want to know more about the Bible. And so we've started doing some series now and then some teaching series where we're not only teaching you the Bible, what it says for your life today, but we're teaching you about how the Bible works. And that's what we're actually doing in this series. We're doing both. We're teaching you about the first 50 days. One of the questions that came in as we're getting ready for a question series that follows this one, one of the questions that came in was, you teach a lot about Jesus up until his resurrection. What happened with Jesus after his resurrection? And so this is the first 50 days after Jesus came back from the dead. That's what we've been teaching. And so... uh, uh, Butker was here, Tim was here uh, two weeks ago, and he talked about this waiting period. And then Alice was here last week, and she talked about at day 40, he, Jesus ascended. And both of those things came from Acts chapter 1. And Acts is the Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of the early church. That's what Acts is about. And uh, Acts 1-3 says this, After Jesus' suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. After they buried him, he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days. That's where the 40 days comes from. He appeared to them over 40 days until Alice taught last week, Acts 1-9. After this, after Jesus said this, he was taken up before their eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. Okay, so he's resurrected, day one. He's ascended, day 40. And now, 10 days later, we're at Acts chapter 2. And what happens in Acts chapter 2? Here it is. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Now, wait a minute. The day of Pentecost. That was actually another way of saying there was this Jewish holiday, a little bit like our Thanksgiving. And it was 50 days after the Passover. That's one way we know the days. And it was called the Feast of Harvest. So when the day of Pentecost came, when Thanksgiving came, when this Jewish Feast of the Harvest came... They were together in one place. Who's the they? The 11 disciples. Matthias, who's been appointed as a 12th disciple now. Some of the women who hung out with them and maybe some other fringe people. They were together in one place. What was the place? The place was not the upper room where we're going to celebrate communion in a little bit. It was probably, best guess from people who study these things, probably a room in the temple. So they're all hanging out in a room in the temple, which a temple wasn't like a church. It didn't necessarily have a roof. It was out in the courtyard of the temple. Suddenly... This is the spooky part. One reason I haven't taught this before is it's a little bit freaky, a little bit spooky, what happens here. I I, uh, saw the movie The Hunger Games. And if you saw that contestant that was up front in the dress and like um, she's spinning around and doing all this and then the dress kind of starts on fire, uh, it was kind of a a hoax. But I mean, it, it just made me think of this right away. Suddenly, this is God's word. Suddenly. A sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house, the place where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. 
All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Oh my goodness. They had an experience with God. Now, I'm so grateful for the careful language of God's word. It doesn't say there was a violent wind. It says suddenly they heard the sound like a violent wind coming from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They heard it. They saw, again careful, what seemed to be like Flames of fire, tongues of fire that separated and came apart to rest upon them. They were all filled. They felt this Holy Spirit inside of them and began to speak in other languages. So I was thinking about this. They heard, they saw, they felt, and then they acted. And I was trying to get it in the context for you and me. When does that happen to me that I'm in a place and all of a sudden it seems like there's this holy moment? And I maybe see something and hear something and feel something. I've had times like that. Have you? I remember holding my first grandson and my first son in that hospital room. And I see something and I hear something, whether it's the baby crying or whether it's the dad or mom talking to me or my wife giggling beside me. And I feel something of God. Wow, this is big. And then I speak. And I I think there are lots of times like that. I I remember one time, uh, I had been here one year as a a youth director at Orchard, and I got a really, really good job offer from a college. And I'd only been here a year. I was just getting my feet on the ground. But this offer was so good that I felt like I needed to pray and consider. So this is like 25 years ago. And uh, so I'm praying and considering and really asking God. I was on my knees one time just saying, God, make it clear. Uh, so I took it to our supper table uh, for my, where my family was at supper. And uh, we had been here one year. And I had a sixth grade son, a fifth grade son, and third and fourth grade twins, third third grade twins, I think. And... Uh, I was saying, well, we might move because dad might take this job. And my son, Jer, we were having spaghetti that night. We call it the spaghetti event. Um, he picks up his plate of spaghetti and he throws it across the dining room. And it lands against the wall. Big red spot, red sauce. couple strands of spaghetti hanging there. The plate crashes to the ground. I see. I hear. I feel. And almost instantly I knew God was in this and was saying to me, don't don't take that job. Don't take that. And so I I play back over my life and I think, could God have been there? Could that have been part of God? Was that almost like a Pentecost? It's like God is at work. This isn't so freaky as we think it is when we understand we have a supernatural God who can do whatever he wants to do. Let's go on. So they uh, touched by the Holy Spirit. And uh, now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. This is verse 5. When they heard this sound, a crowd came from heaven and bewildered them because each of them heard them speaking in their own language. Utterly amazed, the crowd asks, Are not these men speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? And so they're having this talk like, how how can this be happening? How can we as the crowd now be hearing all this? And then they had two responses. 
Now, these two responses are of great interest to me. This is verse 12 and 13. Have you ever been in a hospital and like you're visiting a person who has a disease or a cancer and like everything's going downhill and you're in the lobby of the hospital? I mean, we could tell stories right here. You're in the lobby of the hospital and the doctor comes out and he says, I don't understand it, but the cancer is gone. Do you ever notice in that lobby there's two responses? There's those who know we serve a supernatural God and go, wow, that's amazing. And there's those who do not know the supernatural power of God and they go, I think the first test must have been wrong. Right? Those are two responses. Well, that's the same thing that happens here at Pentecost. Verse 12, amazed and perplexed, some of the people ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Two different responses to the same event. Right? Right? In fact, I bet sometimes you fluctuate between those two. I did this week. Wednesday morning, John, John and Christy, who are our church pastors in Haiti, where we do so much work. We're going to see a video in a few minutes. So they're sitting there at the table and I'm interviewing with our staff and leaders on Wednesday morning. And I said to John, John, is there anything else you want to tell me about the work of God in Haiti? And he tells me this story. Pastor Duca, who's a pastor who walks like 14 hours to get there. He's a pastor who's building. We're actually helping him build a church up in the mountains where there are 18 communities with no church, only witch doctors. And this guy prayed, this pastor Duca prayed that God would help him be an evangelist. And God would help him know his word. He's never been in school. He doesn't know how to read. And then John John says this. This is this Wednesday in this church building. Says he can only read one book. God gave him the power to read the scriptures. So he says he can stand up and he can read God's word and he can preach a powerful message. But if I hand him a first grade reader, he can't read it. Now, I'm exactly caught between those two people, right? I'm going, whoa. Dave Bartlett, do you believe this? Do you believe that you serve a supernatural God who could do that? I'm going, we don't think about those things in North America very much. We don't ask ourselves, does God still do that kind of a miracle? Where he would actually answer one man's prayer and say, you can read the Bible, but you didn't ask to read anything else, so you can't. I do. I do. I believe we serve a supernatural God who's still at work in amazing ways. And um, then uh, I need to take you to, so what? So what? What does it matter if you look and you see the fingerprints of God's spirit in your life or not? What does it actually matter if you look and say, hey, God's at work there. That was God. Well, here's here's why it matters to you. Um, And this is uh, uh, Acts 2.14. It's what happens in Peter's heart. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. Now, Peter's up in front of hundreds, and he's saying, I've just got one message. And then it goes on for two chapters, and this is his message. Jesus was alive. Jesus was dead. Now he's alive. Deal with it. 
Now this is the same Peter who a few days ago when this tiny servant girl came up to him and put his finger in his chest and said, Hey, don't you know Jesus? What was Peter's response then? Don't know him. The night he was arrested three times, Peter said, I don't even know the bum. I don't even know the guy, right? Now it's a few days later and he's standing in front of the whole crowd, the whole city of Jerusalem and he's saying, Hey, listen up. This Jesus that you killed... He's still alive. He's the son of God. Deal with it. What happened between being afraid of a servant girl and standing up in the middle of the city? What happened? He saw the power of God. He was touched by the spirit. He saw the fingerprints of God at work. This is why it's so important. How supernatural is the God that you serve? How much do you have room in your mind... For him to do a miracle today by his spirit. How good are you at looking back and seeing the miracles that he's done in your life already? And then do you let that give you power and boldness for today? It's funny because I can look at, you know, I know lots of your stories having been around here so long and being like, I like being a guy who knows stories. And I just look at you. I mean, I could actually just start telling them, you know. And what I'd actually be doing is pointing out the fingerprints of God at work in your life. And we need that for ourselves and we need that for each other. Some of you are here today because of the fingerprints of God in your life. He drew you here almost in supernatural ways or yes, in supernatural ways. Um, So we need to be a little bit more like Peter who um, felt this, uh, who uh, heard and saw and felt and then acted. I like uh, Acts chapter 4, verse 13. When they, the crowd, saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. They knew they weren't trained. They knew they didn't have a lot of education. But what made them different was this courage that they had had because they had been with Jesus. They had seen the supernatural work of God. I believe uh, God's spirit is a little bit shy. Sometimes people will say, boy, Orchard doesn't teach a lot about the Holy Spirit, which is true. And we probably should raise that just a little bit. And part of today we're trying to just a little bit. Um, But there's a thing about the Holy Spirit of God I think that's interesting and theologians talk about. And that he's uh, really all the persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they're all a little bit shy. And so if, uh, would you step up here just a minute? Come right up here. Come, 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 come. Good. Right there. I like those red shoes. So if I'm the Holy Spirit and if this is Jesus, what I think the Holy Spirit does is he stands behind Jesus and he goes, he's the one. He saved you. He died for you. He changes your life. And the Holy Spirit isn't back here going, Hey, remember me? I'm the Holy Spirit. No, the Holy Spirit's behind saying, He's the guy. He's the one who did it. That's one of the reasons we don't teach a ton about the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit keeps pointing to Jesus. And it's interesting. When uh, Jesus is baptized, you are a good-looking Jesus. When Jesus is baptized... When Jesus is baptized, the Father from heaven speaks. 
And isn't it interesting? He doesn't say, hey, remember me, I'm up here. He says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Wow. Thank you. Thanks. Fingerprints of God. So the rest of the service is, can you like think just a little bit about the fingerprints of God on your life? I'm going to um, actually uh, show you a video that Jeff Mickey made when he was in Haiti. I want to just simply ask you to watch this video from there about the fingerprints of God. It's three minutes. And then I'm going to ask you some more questions about the fingerprints of God in your life. So take a look at this. So the fingerprints of God, that's all in one area right there in Haiti where we're partnered with this church, John John and Christy at the end. So I heard this story from Jeff and then also from John John this week that in the 1940s, a missionary came there and won one family to Christ, one family. And Jeff, in one of his slides, shows the foundation of the home right in the middle of this complex where this one Christian family began to pray in the name of Christ for their area. 1940s. It seemed like nothing happened. 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. 2000, 2005, John, John, and Christy are looking for a place to start to build their church. And isn't it a coincidence, no, that where they choose to build is right near this foundation of this house, of this family that prayed for their area for years? For years, the fingerprints of God. Now, around them, there's a university, a grade school, a high school, feeding stations, 30 acres of cropland actually producing food, which is incredibly unbelievable in Haiti. The fingerprints of God. I I see the fingerprints of God Uh, almost every Sunday in the lobby of our church a week ago. I met a girl that I ran the small group for high school when she was going to Dyke, New Hartford. And a lot of you know her, Lisa Canigator. The candidates are right here. Lisa's walking around our lobby. She lives in New York City now. And she has this front pack with this little kid telling me, this baby, telling me that, uh, boy, it's cool to be a city girl in New York City and walk around. And I got to talking with her, and uh, she was telling me about the babysitter for her baby, who also grew up in this church, whose name is also Lisa, Lisa Bowman, who went out there to go to school and get a job, and then it worked out just perfect for Lisa Canigator's baby to be raised during the day by Lisa Bowman. And when I think about those fingerprints of God, it's so amazing to me. We go, A lot of us go to graduation open houses at these time of years, and we walk in and we see these pictures, and we see these books, and we see all that's going on. And I just challenge you, as you're thinking about our graduates, think about the fingerprints of God in their lives. Think about the awards they've won. Think about the experiences they've had. Think about the parents and grandparents who have prayed for them. And see the fingerprints of God. The Grant Wheeler Memorial Race. Uh, Eight scholarships this spring. Grant Wheeler dies, right? Terrible tragedy years back. And then this group of men feel called by the Spirit of God to start raising money with an annual race. And I think this year they gave away eight scholarships. I think to date they've given away $80,000. And to me, the most amazing part, fingerprints of God, the most amazing part is they stand in front of uh, these award banquets in public schools, and lots of times they're the only scholarship based on faith. 
And so a week ago, they stood in front of the Cedar Falls. And they do lots of other schools. And the qualifications is faith in Jesus and how you're running intersects with that. And it's just so powerful. God is at work. Just like the day of Pentecost. All we need to do is open our eyes and see it. And then let it give us power. Let us give us courage.